This is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Hey, hey, welcome to this, an Ask Brothers Rankcast and a podcast where I remembered to press, wait, let me check. Where I remembered to press the record button. Well, I had to check it, didn't I? I remembered to press the record button this week, uh, which makes a really great um, difference from last week, which was a bit of a fucking disaster. But Ryan, the viewers have to excuse me because I've got vertigo. I've got vertigo from standing upon the top of the table at the moment. Uh, the winniest, the winniest, the most winniest record, the most winning, 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 the most winning, winningest, winningest, the yeah. most winningness record uh, in the Premier League at the moment. And it's um, been a real journey. It's always a journey being an Arsenal fan on Twitter in particular. Because somehow even things that should not be divisive are divisive. Like this week, fans are having a go at other fans for either being too positive and like tweets like, hey, pump the brakes, let's not talk about winning the league. And then other fans having a go at fans being like, how dare you tell me how positive I should be. It's a uh, it's a real fucking journey, Ryan. How are you? How you holding up, buddy? I'm good. Uh, I got I got my Carlsberg because we're going to be in the Champions League this season. So uh, I'm going to just open that up right up right away because we're going to win the league. We're going to be Champions League. We're going to do all that good stuff. And if we don't, to be great. If we don't, it's not that bad. I reckon it's like um, trying to fuck a really hot girl, winning the Premier League. It's like you. If you don't try, and if you don't believe that you can, you have failed before you even tried to walk up to her. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to believe that you can. And I feel like for Arsenal, this is the analogy that best fits at the moment. It's like, you want to fuck the Champions League? You want to fuck the Premier League? you got to think, I'm good enough. And then, you know, the Champions League isn't so hot. Like, she's hot as fuck. But she isn't so hot that I can't get it done. And if you try, Ryan, and you get shot down, at least you know that you tried. Yeah, yeah, I know. Ex- exactly. What's that saying? Uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So it's, it's very similar, except without hot girls and, and tits and shit. But uh, yeah, no. Um, to steal an American same, Ryan, you got to shoot your shot. Yeah. And that, that's what we're doing at the start of the season. We're fucking shooting our shot. Yeah, I mean, we yeah we ha- we don't have the the hardest schedule, but we can only play what's in front of us. And and I'll fucking I'll go toe to toe with anyone that's just like oh our schedule. I think Palace is a good team. I think Palace. I said this on other pods. I think Palace is going to finish close to a Europa Conference League spot, or maybe even get it. I think they're good. they're a really good team. They're well coached by Vieira. Um, yeah, and. Uh, I think we're going to see what we're actually made of when we when we go against teams that like like that are going to have more possession than us. While I do think Palace is a good team, you know, um, playing a team like City and Liverpool is going to be a little different. I mean, not wanting to blow my load 
completely early. Blow you know, my blow to my face. I'm you know, not 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 one not wanting to completely ejaculate all over the internet, but with three from three, we've got Fulham next. We've got Villa after that. We've got Manu after that. Granted, a resurgent Manu in some ways. We've got Everton after that, who I'm convinced are relegation fodder. Followed by Brentford. That's before we get to Spurs and, and Liverpool. I mean, is there a world, and, and again, you know, you've got to shoot your shot. You've got to believe it's possible. Is there a world where Arsenal are eight wins from the first eight? I, yeah, in a perfect world, I think so. But I, I, I do think that, in a, and you know, I, I, I feel like I just heard this the other day, but you know, we're 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 gonna have uh, that game, that that game that you know we're supposed to win, and, and we don't, or we we draw, or we or we lose, and it's gonna happen. And I think, I, I personally, I think it'll probably happen uh, for those games. But I mean, seeing us play the way we played the last you know, these three games, yes, I get the competition. Um, it's exciting though, and I and I think you know uh, doing these these podcasts, especially with us and, and with other other shows, it's it's tough to really have like an interesting show because you're not really debating. You're just kind of like, oh, we're great, we're this, we're that, we're jerking each other off. And I love a good jerk off sesh. You know, uh, my friend John will tell you, you know, a good circle jerk. You know, really keeps the sleepover alive. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just you got to take the bad with the good. I think. There's going to be a lot more good this but season. But there's been no bad. There's been well, no, no bad. Well, no, I'm saying there will be, but though. This, we're not going to win 38 saying, games. We're just this is what I'm saying not. is why predict why predict, why predict badness? You know, it's 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 like a um, – I think it's a self-preservation thing for Arsenal fans more than anything. You know, it's like, well, if I predict that we're going to lose and we keep winning, then somehow that makes that makes it better or that'll make it less bad when we lose or when we drop points. But I think the, the real lesson here is everyone is going to lose this season. So Man City have already had a loss. Liverpool have already had a loss. You know, but everyone has had a loss. Man City has not lost yet. They drew. They drew. They drew sorry. Has not won a game. You, you know, and as we just... I sent Darren a message over the week and I was like, I am as confident as I've been, and I think maybe not unbeaten, right? Or maybe not, I reckon there could be a draw in there, is what I'm saying. I reckon there could be a draw in there. But I reckon we could not lose for these first eight games. Darren, you're the most positive person that has ever existed on the planet. Some say more positive than Jesus Christ himself, who was very positive, he's a very positive man. Whether or not he was the son of God is another question. Might have just been a fucking lunatic who was walking around pouring wine on bread. I, yeah, well, I haven't, I haven't read the, haven't read the Bible, haven't read the Bible cover to cover. Only the bits that the school forced me to. Um, but Darren, it, I know you're very positive, and you're naturally going to say yes, we're going to win eight from eight. But if for once in your life you can put your fucking sensible hat on for us, um. This run of fixtures, you know, coming up, uh, Tottenham would be our ninth and ninth game of the season. Do you think it's very likely that we could be standing upon the lofty heights at the very top of the table still come that Tottenham game? 
I haven't looked forward. Who are the eight games? I know people keep saying we've got an easy run. Do you know who they are? Top of your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just read them out before. We've got Fulham Sorry. next. We've got Fulham, followed by Villa, followed by Manu, followed by Everton, followed by Brentford. Okay, I think the toughest out of those is Brentford. Yeah. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. is. Do you know what? We're, we're going to have a we're going to have a great season this year. I mean, I don't mean Arsenal. Uh, obviously, we're going to have a great season, Arsenal. We're gonna, by the way, hello, Brian. You all right, mate? Sorry, I'm late. Uh, I forgot all about it again. <laughs> I was Typical. so pleased when I had to come on because I'm helping my mate build a wall in 35 degrees heat and I really didn't want to do it. And I was looking for excuses not to. And, uh, and, he's, a Tottenham, oh, and he's a Tottenham fan. He's a Tottenham so he fan. Can fuck, he can fucking build it himself, cunt. <laughs> yeah, but then it'll fall down. Yes. Uh, yeah, honestly, I think we're in for a fantastic season. A fantastic season the Premier League because there are some really good sides out there. Um, City look unstoppable to me. They still look... I mean, I watched their game against Newcastle and Newcastle were flying at times and and City still managed to peg that back. And, and you know, I was, I, was, I was blowing a whistle watching that game, wanting it to end because I just can see Man City having an unbeaten season. I think they are that good. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But he's done uh, City what Klopp hasn't done at Liverpool. He's really refreshed that side, you know, so they look... Like they're hungry again, you know. Liverpool look tired. Liverpool look jaded, you know. But um, there's there's some sides there we've seen already: Newcastle, uh, Brentford, uh, Leeds United. You know these sides. Brighton look really good football sides. They are not guy, going to be easy to that beat. That guy, you know? Danny. You know he's my boy. You know I love him. <laughs> <laughs> but but I just think that you know so looking at our future games and there's also some teams who look really poor you know I don't think I think there's going to be Leicester you know our result against Leicester doesn't actually carry too much now because they look pretty awful in their results Bournemouth um, aren't very good so I don't think we should get too carried away with this excellent start we have looked very very good against very very mediocre opposition in the last two games Palace however was a stern test Beat us three 0 end of last year, and and you know their 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 form's good. They've gone on to Liverpool and got a point. Um, should have won that game. Uh, so I, I just you know I don't think we should get too carried away with how good we are, but we should get carried away with just how much fun it is to be an Arsenal I think fan we get because we haven't had some fun. What we, I think we should yeah, get yeah. As carried away as possible because why would you not? Why would you not enjoy this? I was saying uh, before you jumped on. Darren, there's people arguing on Twitter at the moment about Arsenal fans saying we're going to win the league, saying, are you stupid? You know, don't be saying that we're going to win the league. And you've got Arsenal fans arguing with other Arsenal fans saying, oh, that's ridiculous. I'll support how I want to support. Who gives a fuck? Just support with the right intentions. Support with the intention that is to support your fucking football club. And if you if the support is good enough and if the the energy is good enough and the light globe, as Mikhail Arteta says, the, you know, it transmits the energy into the football club, then good fucking things are, are going to happen. And you should be excited because I will take anyone back to the first three. How any of you cunts can fucking be whinging about fucking anything three from three from where we started last season is absolutely beyond me. So do everyone a favor, shut the fuck up, watch the game on the weekend and support your fucking club. That's all I have to say about that. Fuck yourselves. Fucking miserable cunts. We've all been saying that there's been a constant throughout this podcast over the last couple of years. Is that, you know, I I love Arsenal. I don't particularly like the supporters. 
Uh, I'm starting to fall in love with the supporters again. You know, at the stadium last weekend, it was fantastic. It really, uh, COVID has done such a favour for Arsenal because it's killed off a lot of old people. And you know another and, thing, uh, you know another thing, I, I, Darren? I didn't expect <laughs> you almost, to say that. <laughs> almost fucking killed you off as well, Darren. <laughs> no, it didn't. That's lung cancer. That's completely different. Don't it, it's I've had COVID twice. It's fine. We can cope with COVID. But it's killed off a lot of old people. And it's scared off a lot of people from coming back. And the club did this thing of giving people a, um, a, a year-long season ticket break. And I was worried that this year, a lot of those people would come back, you know, jump on the bandwagon. You can't call the Arsenal fans in the stadium glory hunters because we, we've been turning up year in, year out and watching us slowly decline over the last 10 years. Um, but what you, we have done is we've got rid of a lot of the people who just got so fed up and COVID with a two-year break from going into stadiums or however long it was. As actually those people who didn't really care about Arsenal, didn't have the passion for the club, who just went to the stadium because it's almost like a, a, a status symbol, having a season ticket at Arsenal. And they went and watched the game with misery, looking for that negativity. I hated it. I hated it. I've had more fights with people inside the stadium than I ever have before in the last three or four years, from the Wenger out brigade to just the negativity, the Xhaka stuff, booing players when they come on, booing players when they go off. This doesn't help. Anyone who's got any ounce of sense knows that when you um, are negative towards a player, it doesn't help. There's nothing that can help. So Insane now that, in the Darren. stadium, we've got rid of we've got rid of those supporters, and suddenly it feels like every single person in that stadium wants the team to do well. And that's you know, look, it's easy when we're winning. You know, the, the acid test will be when we when we do lose a few games. And as I just called the end of what Ryan was saying, you know, let's be sensible. I don't think this is an invincible side. This is a very, very good young side that hopefully in three or four years will be competing for the Champions League, for winning the Champions League. You know, we, we can have that excitement because there is a, a core of the team that is is below 25. And if they continue to improve and don't get sold to pay off debts or sold because the owners want some money or because a club like Manchester City will come in and, and buy them, give these players instant success, these players bought into it and the crowds bought into it. And how much fun is it? It's just so much fun being there at the moment. Well, we have to we have to look at this as a journey, and Arsenal fans have to look at this as a journey. And I think there's a if we take everything that's going on in the world right now, and I'm not sure whether it's generational or environmental, but there is such an element of nowness in modern society where everyone wants something now and they want it today, and they're not willing to enjoy the journey that gets you there. I mean, this journey is much like a penis in order to get to the base of the penis and become and become fully entered inside of the female species at first darren we must pass the tip we must get through the tip before we work our way down the shaft and then we get down to the balls and i think that that is the way that all arsenal fans need to be considering this football club now i think we're about i think we're about a third of a dick we're about a third of a dick right now. And I think by the end of this season, I think worst case scenario will be half a dick. Best case scenario will be three quarters of a dick. If we end up entire dick, <laughs> that will be a very, very, very special day. Ryan? I mean, I, 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 it's funny because <laughs> I, I like, I like, 
I, I just like when it goes down to me and plays with the head of my penis. So the shaft and the balls, I, I you've only got it. Tip. You've only got the head of a penis. I just want though. the tip. Yeah, well, I, okay, there you go. It's fair. I, I just like the head. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a very, journey, Ryan. That's it is, what I'm getting. It is, at. And, it's a and, journey, and we need to enjoy the journey instead of just concentrating on the destination. We need to like, enjoy like the Lock journey that gets last us. Season, there. The All or Nothing documentary. He was like, "Oh, it's the destination. That's what's most important." May have totally a complete asshole, but you know that's fine. He's on the he's not with the club anymore. But no, I agree. I, I and I, and I love the journey last season, and I was one that was on my soapbox, and I was constantly saying, "I I want Europa. I don't even care if we get champions. If we get it, like awesome. We'll have more fans that are excited. We'll have maybe more money to spend. We'll attract, you know, better talent. But as far as you know, your Sambi Lakangas, your Eddie and Kedias, yeah, Vieiras." You know, players that we want to give minutes to. Europa League is like perfect because these mm. these players are going to shine. They're going to look good, and it's going to make them better for when we need them. You know, come injuries to let's say a Thomas Partey or uh, Ben White, um, <laughs> which which may have or may not have been growth bumps. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, which may or may not have happened already. So, um, you know, pre- preparing our depth for battle, so to say, is I think very important. And I think the best for us to do it as Europa League. I think one final thing before we move on to the next point I want to say is I think the ideas of division and righteousness and this desire to be correct is something that as a fan base we have to move away from. And I think that with open arms we should invite back invite back fans who nailed their colours to the mast and, and feel that they can't unnail those colours. And, you know, I'll, I'll put my hand up as someone who podcasts and someone who's, you know, got hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours of recorded bad opinions on here, you know, I think part of being human is being able to retract a comment, retract a comment and say, I was wrong. I was wrong about Arteta because you know what? In a year, we may be sitting here saying we were wrong about Arteta and he wasn't good enough and he wasn't the right guy and he lost the squad or he made bad decisions because, you know, time isn't a start point and an end point. It's always going to change and it's always going to evolve. And this journey is going to change and evolve. And in 10 years' time, we'll be looking back at this and, and, you know, thinking about different elements of it and what we said. So I think there's an element to go out there and to say to everyone, you know, it doesn't matter what your opinions are. As long as you support the club and as long as you love the club, you know, if you've had some bad fucking opinions and walked away from the club, come back because it's good here. It's fucking nice here at the moment, and it's a nice place to be. Anyone want to find a word on that before I jump into the next bit? No. All I was going to say when I was when I was trying to just uh, get your attention there, all I wanted to say was something you said last week, which I really agreed with. And when I listened back to the pod last uh, last week, for me. I'm an Arsenal fan. It does spoil my weekend when we lose. It spoils my week when we lose, and it cheers me up no end when we win. But at the moment, it's enjoyable, whatever the result I feel. While we have these players fighting for the badge and putting everything in, we will come across teams that will, on the day, be better than us. But all we've asked for for years is those players to fight and work for the badge. We have seen so many celebrity superstars come into our club, the, the Williams, the David Luises, people who it's hard for us as supporters to get behind purely because they've played most of their career for other sides. They're not the sort of players that we've got now. I could never really get behind Luisa. I thought William was a, a Chelsea player. 
you know, and that's and that's something we haven't got now. So something you said last week, Max, was it doesn't actually even matter about the results, and that's where I am. It's so much better when we win. But if I I will go, I supported Arsenal for a good 15, 20 year period back in the day when we didn't win anything, the odd FA Cup, but we didn't win league titles. We weren't competing for league titles. We were nowhere near. We were Everton. We were that sixth or seventh place team. And it was okay as long as those players put in a shift. And, and, and that's given me this, this balanced view, this positivity, because I look at what we've got now and I love it. You know, I really love it. And it's fantastic to watch, so enjoy it. Um, so, Gabriel Jesus didn't score a goal. So, he's shit. Fucking sell him. <laughs> sell him. <laughs> on, a, on a serious note, I thought, uh, and, and we are, it is going to be a bit repetitive in these early weeks because we are going to be looking at players we haven't seen before. And there is a bit of a love in at the moment on Jesus. Ryan, can I just say that not even looking at his goals, not even looking at his touch and his hat and his clear athleticism, because that is a real upgrade on Lacquer, his tempo and his drive, his desire, his clear desire to not only want to win, but to want to take this opportunity in a way that I haven't seen a striker come into the club and want to take this opportunity. His hold-up play, the way he's turning and driving and interchanging with players, you know, those are things that aren't, uh, I guess they're not necessarily skills-related or heavily skills-related. Those are things that are purely desire-related. And I don't think that you can have that level of desire in an environment that is in that is anything other than a really nice, wholesome environment at the moment for Arsenal. What are your thoughts? There will be a question in a minute, Ryan. Honestly, yeah, somewhere well, it's, else. it's a statement. The I end know. of it was I'm, the end of it. Trust me, Dan. I'm used to this by now. Um, no, yeah. I so it's interesting. So we have the benefit of being able to watch kind of behind the scenes of last season. I mean, I. I just finished the last two episodes and I didn't want to watch it, but I forced myself to do it anyway. And uh, so we, yeah, we have a benefit. We kind of see Arteta behind the scenes. We see the players reacting behind the scenes and you, we kind of know, you know, from that, it, it's a great environment. The players kind of seem to be together. Uh, they seem to be kind of sort of moving as one, you know, obviously every team has a rough day. Um, and I think bringing in uh Gabriel Jesus, you know, someone who's won things before he's been on a team that's, you know, top of the top of the league um, is always good because you still want that experience. And I think that's something that Arteta really focused on when he first became our manager. He wanted experience, wanted this sort of seniority to kind of, you know, carry us through the period of having the youngest squad and having, you know, some growing pains. Um, but yeah, Jesus is amazing. Uh, he is just, you know, it, it makes you realize what we didn't have last season and watching him just link up with Martinelli. And I'm sure he'll link up with Saka. Um, but I think for me, his relationship with Martinelli is probably the most interesting because when you had Lacazette on the pitch, he was just slow. Yes, he held the ball up fairly well. He would get stuck in too much. He would fall on the ground a lot. Uh, he was a lot slower. And Martinelli is just a thousand miles an hour. Now that you have Gabriel Jesus, who's also like sort of a thousand miles an hour. Martinelli's like, okay, like I, I see where you're going with this. Hopefully, you know, Saka and Odegaard can kind of catch up a little bit because they're not the quickest players on our squad. Um, but I think they're both obviously like very brilliant, intelligent players and they will Am shine. I wrong in this statement, Ryan, that the Martinelli, Martinelli and Jesus are very not 
Brazilian in the sense that they don't go down and they don't roll yeah. around on the floor and they seem to be like quite robust, hard running. Because I got fucked off with that last year with Lacazette because I thought when you should be dominating defenders, you're falling yeah. to the ground. Exactly. And so far from Jesus, you know, when he's backing in and he's going to shoulder to shoulder with players, for a man who I didn't think was physically very big, it was one of my statements when we signed him. I was like, he's not physically very big. And, you know, we were looking at a, a Vlaovic, which maybe we dodged a bullet now, or we were looking at a Haaland. You know, we were looking for these big physical strikers. Have you been impressed with how physical he is for someone who's, whose stature isn't that big? Or are we? am I wrong there? Is he bigger than he looks? I think it's a mix of both. I think he, I think he is a little bit bigger than he looks. You know, uh, I, I do have a friend who is a Man City fan. So I've seen Man City games. I've watched Man City with him. And I, I've seen Gabriel Jesus play. And, you know, he does play bigger than what he is. Um, he is a player that's really quick with his feet. And I think that's something that I think should be talked about way more. I mean, I, we do talk about it. But just his technical skill with the ball, even in the box, just dribbling through players like it's no big thing. Very Henri-esque. Um, I think is something that'll definitely help us in the long run. And to go back to the fact where, you know, I, I also think they just don't go down because they know Arsenal, they know that we don't get any fucking calls. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, putting on, taking my refs hat off. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. And I think that, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I do see Gabriel, especially Jesus in the future, uh, going down when he needs to, when we, when we need a call, but, I think just technically with the ball in the box, I think it's just it's huge for us because it'll it's going to allow people who we'll talk about later, like Granit Xhaka making late runs in the box, being open and being aware of what's going on and and putting that ball into the net. Uh, so yeah, I I, so I think it's a little bit of both. I think he is bigger than what he is, but um, I think he's just really quick with his feet too. Uh, Dazza, I've got my notes here. Ben White. Just, can I just add on Jesus, or are you finishing on Jesus? I was going to finish on him because you already called. I just him wanted to Ian. say you already called him Ian Wright and said he was going to be Golden Boot last week, so we already know yeah, what yeah. you think of him. It was just when you compared him to Aubameyang and Lacazette, and I think it's so amazing when you think we've got a player that holds the ball up much better than Lacazette and, and far more than Aubameyang ever did. His his control is better than those two. He is unselfish compared to those two. He's better in the air than those two. He's stronger than those two. And then add the fact that he's he's, he's, he's a dribbler, and we haven't had that skill set from a centre-forward for a long time, and the fact that he's a much better finisher than the two of them, and we only got him for £45 million and he turned down Chelsea. The last this time guy, I was this surprised by a striker was Eduardo. When someone came into the club and I was like, I don't think that much of the signing. Was Eduardo. Yeah, it's just an incredible piece of business. It's an incredible mm. piece of business. And at I the, really at didn't realise how good this was. At the price, yeah. that's that's looking like a seventy million pound signing. I mean, to and be fair, I think we more. I think we lucked out a little bit because you know we we they knew Holland was coming in. Man City are a team where it's like, I, in my opinion, the two top teams are, are Man City and Liverpool. And I think with Man City and Liverpool, they're night and day in what they do. And the fact that Man City's like, oh, yeah, well, like, we're just going to have a different striker every season. Like, we don't care. They want the flavor. I would have, I would have said that about Liverpool month. last year, but I, I said at the start of this season to a couple of my Liverpool fans, friends who are Liverpool fans, that one of the things that Liverpool had done exceptionally well and got themselves into a good position was when it was time to move people on, they were ruthless and they took the money. And I think that Liverpool team looks a season too old. 
yeah, a little bit too jaded and they haven't turned it over. And I, I think they could struggle this season. I mean, you had the opportunity to go get Coutinho money for Salah. You didn't. You had the opportunity to move Mane on 12 months earlier. And Mane would have gone for fucking £70 million. He didn't. He went for £20 million. You've still got Milner running around out there. You've still got Henderson running around out there. Virgil van Dijk is a, you know, not that he's on the decline necessarily, but it's very hard. Uh, but that was the key. Did you watch the game last night, Max? Did you watch the Manchester United game last no, night? No, I, I watched the mini this morning. I just thought it was a couple of things that came out of that to me. Van Dyke, you know, I don't, there was an argument after Manchester United's goal between James Milner and, and Van Dyke. And Klopp was asked about it afterwards. And you could see when they showed the replay, Van Dyke is standing there while only, you know, just standing there with his arms behind his back to block the ball from five yards away while the guy, San, well, Sancho does two or three tricks. And, you know, Milner, I'm sure we're saying to him, fly into that. He could, have, he could have made up that ground and flown into that tackle like you're seeing Leeds players doing, like you're seeing Arsenal players do, like you're seeing Brentford players do, like you're seeing Newcastle players do. They were just standing around Liverpool. Manchester United wanted it more. And because of that, they won the football match. You know, yeah, it was, but one it was of the, a very one simple of the, thing. One of the reasons why Man City have been successful for a long time is they've ruthlessly turned over people and kept people hungry. Yeah, yeah, agreed. You know, I mean, because um, they can too. They have money coming at their ass. Even if you, even if on, you, yeah. even if you look back at old-fashioned Manchester United teams and things like, you know, they didn't keep people around for huge amounts of time. Like it wasn't short amounts of time that they were turning over all the time. But you know, you look at the expanse of time of Van Nistelrooy was there, or you know, the expanse of time different players there. You know, they made sure that that they bought players in their peak, especially for strikers. They bought players in their peak, and when they ceased to be in their peak. They moved them on. I mean, that's why why Wenger had a one-year-for-over-30s policy, you know, to keep moving people on. And it's very difficult. In any form of business, anywhere you go, getting up to the point of being very good, it's always easy to motivate people to get them to want to be the best. The real key to a top, top manager and a, and a, and a really top team, whether it be, you know, corporate or sporting, is being able to maintain those same levels of motivation once you're already on top of your game and creating those ideas of how do I push this out even further and how do we become better and better and better. And I think that's a level of ruthlessness that the tribalism of football isn't willing to accept sometimes because they fall in love with their players and, and you want to see Burkamp stay until he's 34 and you want Tony Adams to stay forever. But I think fans have to decide in some ways. They have to decide what they watch football for. You know, do you watch football to to love your players and to love your team? Would you purely watch football to win? You know, look at Chelsea fans. I mean, they would turn over a manager every two years. You know, they have people come in and win the premiership. Yes, they'll yeah, still fuck them off after two years. Yeah, they'll still fuck them off after a year and a half. They don't give a fuck because they put a new person in there with a new squad and they're still hungry. And I think that's something that, global football fans really struggle with at the moment. They really struggle with this battle of trying to understand whether or not they're in it to win it or whether or not they're in it for the joy of it. And and for, for directors of football and people like Edu and and um, Vinay and guys like that, you know, these guys have to balance between how far they keep pushing, how far they strive. And I think it's easy to be Arsenal at the moment is what I'm saying. I think the position we're in at the moment, getting up to the top, I think it's 
it's an easier position than to be on top, winning, have won the Champions League, have won the Premier League, and saying to the same group of players for another year, go out there and fucking murder yourself to do it again. And it needs to be turned over. Um, I think also what helps too is is just Man City. Like I said, Man City just generates money at their ass. So they can be like, oh, hey, Aguero, like, you're really good. You've done really well for us, but uh, we're just going to go buy Holland. Like, the, yeah, but remember the what he did. Toy. Remember what he did to Aguero with fucking Jason. Again, but that, that's what they did with he, yeah, he, exactly. re, he re-motivated Aguero all over again. Aguero yeah. was gone. He was out of that fucking team. Yeah. And he managed to re-motivate him. And Aguero went and scored another 35 goals. You know, I think Pep's a bit of a... I think Pep understands that part of the game. And what I hope is, is that Arteta coming from that and what we've seen in Arteta with his willingness to chin people and his willingness to move people on, his willingness to move Aubameyang on, that speaks to me of more modern in his approach than what people would think he is in the modernness of his approach. You know, yes, he's about silly diagrams and getting people together and you know, some speeches that, you know, some of the young guys might be sitting there saying this fucking stupid, put the light globe down, you fucking lunatic. But I think the other side of it, when you look at his decisions, you look at his willingness to move on Hale End Academy boys, to move on Willicks, you know, to try and move on AMNs, to get Reese Nelsons out of the club, to move on Hecky B, you know, and to bring in new players, to, to, to bring back in Saliba, knowing that he had a centre-back pairing that had worked incredibly well last season. And yes, there's an injury and Ben White's gone out to the right. But I still think in years gone past, another manager would have said, no, Saliba's the new guy to the club. He can sit on the bench and I'll find someone to play right back. I'll find a right back to play right back. I think that's very fucking ballsy. That's why we, that's why we recruited the youngest. That's why we had the youngest squad in the Premier League. I think to kind of allow Arteta to be this way with, to be able to mold, to be able to do what we can, because our recruiting, our profile is is obviously very young. It's you know, it's no secret, and I think we kind of took from what Pep's doing because I do agree with the, that that how you know we could just easily motivate people and get the get some younger guys out, but yet still have a young core and and have this core and kind of like again, I'm spoiling a little bit of all nothing, which we may talk about later. But when Arteta said, "Hey, you know, whatever we do, we had to do," but just take a break and we'll be back next season. And like most of the players are back next season. And that's probably going to be the case for us for the next seasons to come. Unless obviously, you know, players down tools, attitudes change. I think he's ruthless. Darren, I think Arteta's ruthless. I I think that if he thinks that there's a better guy out there now, I, I think he will do what needs to be done. Within the parameters, it's interesting. We may not have even seen Saliba if Tommy Asu was fit, you know, it would have made sense to stick with, uh, with the, the pairing that we had towards the end of last year, Wyatt and Gabrielle may well have played. Saliba may have been on the bench. Uh, we may not have been having this uh, love affair with him. And uh, you never know, he may have been really discontent, uh, one, wanting to play in Marseille. And now, you know, just through a, a freak of luck that Tommy Asu's injured, Wyatt has gone to right back, Saliba has played. The connection with the fans is so clear. We may just have, have enabled the signing of a longer contract for Saliba um, just through a freak of luck that Tommy Asu was injured. You know, Dazu, has, not- ben White, has Ben White just solved quite a bit of a problem for Arsenal? Because I put in my notes, he's quite a good right back. He, actually plays, good quite, right back, yeah. he actually plays quite similar to Tommy Asu in the sense that in possession, he, he's not going to bomb miles past and go beyond Saka. So he doesn't choke up that channel and push Saka inside the way a Cedric did, who then crowded the middle and pushed Erdegaard over. Um, 
does that solve a, a, a couple of different problems for us? I, right now, if Tommy Asu's fit, I'm not rushing Tommy Asu back into the team. Ben White's done nothing wrong at right back. It's a difficult situation now, but a good situation. You know, and this is where you talk about Arteta being ruthless. Arteta will pick what is best for Arsenal Football Club. Every decision he's made so far, whether they be right or wrong, has been done with a mindset that this is good for Arsenal Football Club. And, uh, you know, moving on Aubameyang for the reasons he did, it's great. You know, you, I, I haven't watched all of All or Nothing. I've got to say, I got a bit bored after three episodes. Uh, it's like reading a book when you know the ending. It's It's been difficult yeah. for me to, to, to get behind because we know what happens in the end and it's not a very good ending. But, um, you know, when you see your, your captain of your club turning up in a gold Maserati with a, a gold tracksuit, I think, oh, for fuck's sake, fuck off. <laughs> you know, and the, you know the distance between us and the fans, between us and the players, us, us fans and the players, it's just, it's so vast. And uh, this seems to be a hungry group, group of players that we can all believe in. Go on, Max, get to your next question. Uh, Ryan, oh, considering the way... Can, oh, no. Well, who's next? Who's next? I'm throwing it around the room. Both I mean, I was just going to say, we're looking at Beth Ben White. Um, I mean, he played right back for Leeds. So, like, he's used to it. He knows how to play right back. Um, I think what he brings a little more to the table than Tomiyasu did was he he could carry the ball. He could dribble the ball. He's another outlet for us. We don't need him solely rely on Paul Lee, um, which is always great. And, um, I, you know, I think it's also too, like, while I do think he plays a lot like Tomiyasu's because they're both also center backs. They also know how to play mm. center back. Tomiyasu plays center back for Japan, for the national team. Um, I think it's good to have that because, you know, the way our system is, our left back is in the midfield more times than not. So you need, that, you need a right back that has that Ryan, center it back. Really, like, like we had planned it, it segues into the next question because Damn. when you consider the way Kieran Tierney plays – in the sense that he is a guy who wants to get down the wing. He wants to get forward, get really far forward, get really far down the wing for that matter with chalk on his boots and pissed me off when he played considerably last season. Cause I thought he relentlessly smashed balls into the box where there was no one there to head them. And people said, oh, it's not his fault. We need a target man. And my argument was, well, don't fucking do it. If there's no one there to hit it, because you're just going to keep smashing balls into the box. I also thought at times Tierney in particular heavily exposed Granite Xhaka last season, really hung him out to dry a bit because we know that Granite's a little bit unathletic. But one of the balance points this season that's been really interesting to watch is Zinchenko playing at left back isn't as much of a wide-running chalk on his boots left back. He's pulling much more into a number eight position, which is allowing us to be in that back three in possession. It's pushing Xhaka miles further up the pitch, which takes him away from where he is most dangerous, which is getting fucking turned. And it's also provided Martinelli with quite a lot of license to receive the ball wide, not constantly be on the overlap. I'm not sure that Kieran Tierney, for all of the great love that everyone has for him being this, you know, old-fashioned football-loving guy, Ryan, I'm not so sure that KT balances this team as well as Zinchenko does right now. Thoughts? So what's interesting was I actually disagree with, with you a little bit and with a lot of people say, a lot of people agree with you and say like, oh, he loves to bomb forward. He loves crossing the ball in. I think that's Arteta. I think that's what Arteta drilled into him. I think, hey, you can't really tuck in the middle. We don't really see you as a midfielder. Like, let, let's have you bomb forward. We need, we, need, we need to be heavy on one side and the left side is the side we chose. And so, hey, bomb forward, put balls in, make things happen in the box, you know, whatever. I think he is more of, 
uh, Tomiyasu more of a Ben White where he is a center back also. He's played left center back for Scotland. Um, he played a little bit of center back at Celtic. So he is someone that has very center back tendencies like a Ben White, like a Takahiro Tomiyasu. So like having him bomb forward, I think is almost to his detriment, but I think it was more towards Arteta's cause to, to more what Arteta wants to do. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting to see what we do with Kirantini because, you know, we have also somebody on loan, Nuno Tavares, who is doing pretty well for Marseille in the French league. And, and Nuno suits our system more than Kirantini does. Nuno is someone that can, kind of pull into the midfield he he likes to kind of bomb up a little bit on the left too but he's a runner he wants to run he's like he's almost like a i know nuno's not really the best defensively but he's more of a defensive martinelli where he can run around with his head cut off he can carry I'm the very ball. impressed he i've been something. very impressed with zinchenko no yeah and i'm getting and i'm getting his tackling and his tenacity i think zinchenko is a mix of both of those but i think zinchenko's got a little bit of kt in him and he's got a lot of nuno in him and I think he also just best fits our – he fits our tennis system more than both of them. Um, I think he's going to allow us to push forward, and I completely agree with you. I think he's going to allow Xhaka to get out of those positions. And I think that's why and – and, yes, I think Xhaka did have a good season last season, but I, I think he has been a step above that. And I, everyone's like, oh, no, he's always been this good. So all the people that like, like to jerk Xhaka off – Oh, he's always been this good. He's, he was. We'll like get this to that. We'll get to that no, motherfucker. We'll get so. to that yeah. motherfucker. But I think Zinchenko he's, he's allows a lot of different wheels to turn, and I think that's that's going to help us out. Now, what happens? What's going to happen with Kiranchi and Nuno is another story, and that's going to be interesting. But yeah, I love Zinchenko. Darren, what is it think? a reductive conversation because we need two left backs, and there's fucking lots and lots of games. Yeah, and I also think it looks at look if you look at the opposition we've played, we've been the dominant team in these these games. Um, even Crystal Palace, they played out with Sahar down the other side of the pitch. So it's allowed Zinchenko to come in and and Zinchenko was a midfield player or in a number ten before Pep converted him to a left back. And if you listen to some comments from Manchester City fans, they say he was a very good going forward and very good in midfield, technically excellent, but wasn't a very good defender. Now, obviously, the older he gets, the more he plays in that position, the better he's going to get. But I think when we're starting to play against teams that are better and stronger, and I think towards the end of last year, when Tierney was fit to play, Arteta changed that system. He didn't have him bombing down like he used to. He actually sat back and defended, and we played with a back four. Same with Tomiyasu on the other side. So I think horses for courses. I think when we're up against better opposition, then I think you'll see Tierney come back and... We've got to remember he's an excellent, excellent player, you know, and uh, yeah. I think what Ryan said is right. When he was bombing down the wing and, and you know, you leave Xhaka, you said it, Max, you leave Xhaka exposed, that was a fault. So I think Arteta identified that and changed the way Tierney was playing towards the end of the season. And then the problem is he gets injured regularly. I mean, he really does. He's, he's very fragile, probably overplayed as a youngster. He's been playing top flight football for a long time. And, and Zinchenko is a breath of fresh air because he's fit, he's, he's, he's energetic, and he's technically so good. So, but I, I do think that we will see them both play in that position. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Zinchenko come in for maybe Jacker at times as well and play in the mid, middle of the park because he's been so important to us. The calmness on the ball, you know, uh, it, it just gives us all an extra second or two to think. And that's where Jacker, when they put him at left back, you know, that speed of thought isn't there and that technical ability isn't quite as good. Um, same with Tierney. But I, I don't see it's a problem. I say it's just another real 
you know, we tried to get um, Martinez, who went to Manchester United, and I watched him again last night. And again, I will say, I think he is going to be an exceptional player for Manchester United. But as a centre half at, at five foot nine in the Premier League is a challenge. But if we'd have bought him and put him at left back, then we would be seeing what Sinchenko is doing for us. That is what Arteta wanted. He wanted a yeah. left back who could go into that number eight position and allow more players to get forward. He's a very smart footballer. But I think Tommy Yasser is also excellent. It's going to be a, a, a real challenge. But yeah, there are games to play and there are injuries. Um, and we're in a much better position than we, we have been for many, many years. It'll be interesting to see what we do against the big teams. Like, Because I agree, I think we definitely should play Tierney at left back when we play those big teams. But what if he's hurt? You know, Do we maybe see us going into a back three? You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Already, I, I, think I think we, we have so do. many different we, ways. We, we, play in a, we play in a back three in possession. So I don't see why we have to get stuck into these conversations of what system we're playing. And watching us play, we're so fluid. Well, Arteta I mean, doesn't have a system, but I guess yeah, no, seeing I, the X's I, and O's on the board, yeah. I like, I, you know, I, I think that Arteta, if he was putting his X's and O's on the board, I think you'd essentially see with the way we're set up now that it's kind of a an adapted back three. Anyway, guys, I had tried in the first couple of episodes to avoid talking about, um, what's it fucking called? What was all the, or nothing. Um, all or nothing. There's another one, a rugby one, that I got mixed up with. Um, but... I avoided talking about it because I'm very aware of the fact when something is edited, it's edited towards an outcome. And I think people need to fucking recognize that when they're making commentary on essentially what is thousands and thousands of hours of footage that has been recorded where they have handpicked certain things to be able to create a certain narrative, right? Let me just put that out there now. So in what I'm about to say, please just accept the fact that I also understand that we don't see everything. And this is just based on what I saw. But I had grown to quite like Granite Jacker again. Yeah. And after watching All or Nothing, I was amazed by how many people proclaimed how much of an incredible leader he was based on how he was perceived in All or Nothing. Now, let me preface this with the fact that I've I have studied leadership at a master's level so i have a very good understanding of uh, but i'm just i'm just saying i'm, I'm coming from a point of of a, a, a educated area where there are certain things that you look for certain things that i look for in leaders and how certain people essentially perceive leadership and i found it really interesting that people perceived granite jacker telling his teammates that it was shit and telling his teammates that's bad and we need to go out and do something, that they yeah. perceive that as leadership. Because I didn't, you know, I perceived that as at certain points, sometimes the loudest person in the room feels like they're being the leader and the quietest person in the room are often the person who leads through their actions or who leads through their softer words and how they go and get their arms around people and look after people. You know, that's that for me holds more weight as a leader than someone doing what Granite Xhaka did. And again, let me just preface, I know that it was an edit. I didn't see that as something to be lauded. To me, I saw that as someone who felt that they needed to do that or that because they were the most senior person or they perceived themselves as the most senior person. You know, I, I would not... The thing that it made me realise most watching Granite Xhaka do that was it made me realise, one how possibly over-dominant he is in that aspect of his leadership 
in the Arsenal change room because there were others there were other senior players in there not saying anything. But it also made me realize that maybe we don't have or, or, or not maybe it made me realize that we definitely don't have the quantity of leaders across all perceivable levels in that football club to be able to have sensible conversations. Um, Ryan, it's a weird thing because so much of Twitter decided they liked Granite Jacker more because they perceived him yelling as him caring and therefore he was being a good leader. Am I crazy? Am I crazy to walk out of this and think I, you know, there were elements there that I looked at and I was like, I don't like that. Shut your fucking mouth. Get back out there on the pitch and go fucking do something because you are not absolved of guilt. You've lost more fucking games for Arsenal than anyone else. You've thrown a fucking captain's armband on the floor. You sent off fucking twice last season. Granted, once I didn't think you should have been sent off. The other time you nearly broke the cunt's fucking leg. I don't think that he necessarily had the right and the way he was edited and the way he was perceived to be necessarily acting like that. So, again, I, I agree, disagree. So, I... So the whole all or nothing, I, I just finished it. And during most of it, I was like, wow, like I'm actually, I actually was going to like him during the documentary. I was like, oh, he's very smart. A lot of players keep preferencing him. Odegaard recently in an interview says, well, when I need advice to be a captain, I go to Xhaka. He's the guy. And all uh, Eddie and Kedia said, he's going to be the next, he's going to be a, a good manager. Everyone's prefacing him like, okay. And they went to his home. Like, all right, I'm, I'm starting to like him. And it was up until the very last episode. Sorry, Darren, you might want to cover your ears. A little spoiler alert. Um, I think we were losing to Newcastle, or it was it was no nil in Newcastle, or it might have been North London Derby. I don't know. He's sitting there and he's just screaming, fuck, fuck, fuck this. Wake up, wake the fuck up. And he's yep. just screaming expletives. And I'm like, well, you're not really accomplishing anything. And I think, again, it goes to what you're saying. He's being the loud voice in the room and he's just trying to be heard. And I just, to me, if I'm the dressing room, I'm not motivated by that. And to me, like, if you're the leader and every that everybody goes to, and you're the most uh, senior player, take some fucking responsibility. Don't just say fuck, fuck, wake, wake up. That means absolutely nothing to to fucking Nuno Tavares. That doesn't mean especially anything. Especially to a room of people, Ryan, who, if you look at the edit, was staring at the floor and yeah, knew exactly. that and knew that their season yeah. was gone and couldn't and couldn't get it up. And I was like, that is not the fucking time where you would come in. You know, I would expect a leader to stand up and say. You know, guys, this is this is our time. I believe in us. I believe we can go out there and do it. Follow me. Watch me. I'm going to lead us and I'm going to take us to the next part. And I remember those games. And I fucking remember Granite Xhaka being a 9 out of 10 on the fucking pitch and having the right to stand there and say, you're all fucking shit and I'm not. And I just, it, 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 didn't, it didn't sit well with me. But the thing that surprised me most, Darren, the thing that surprised me most about it was about how many people perceived that as something to be lauded, perceived that as something to be uh, essentially rewarded, um, that he cared so much because he shouts and screams and swears and carries on. He must care so much. It's hard for me to comment on, on the episode because, as I say, I haven't, I haven't watched it and, and probably will, but I was surprised how bored I got very quickly because, as I say, it's watching a book where I know the ending. But some captains are like that, and maybe that's edited so they've done that bit but in other parts he has got his arm around people the best captains were the tony adams who i watched who would scream and berate his fellow players on the field constantly if they weren't up to the standard that he is no tony adams 
Well, no, but there's, you say you're only seeing part of it. So mm. if everyone holds him in such high esteem, there must be other parts of his character because some people probably do need shouting at. Some people do need dragging up. Some people were possibly thinking of the their holidays, thinking at the end of the season, not caring as much. So Tony Adams used to scream and shout at people on the pitch, you know, and uh, we didn't all think, oh, oh, I wish he wouldn't shout, you know, he should put his arm around him. I think the, the key to, to leadership is having a mix of those things, knowing which players to, to rev up, which players need an arm around them. You know, Erdegaard is our captain now and, you know, he's a very ma- mild-mannered, he's sort of like Clark Kent, isn't he, before the Superman change. And you can imagine Arsenal will put him in charge because he's, A, it probably helped him be happy at the club. He leads by example. He's a good professional. Um, but I can't see him screaming and shouting or putting his arm I around mean, people. Fucking but Lacazette I Lacazette had the armband last season, down. Yeah, yeah. And if you yeah. watch the show, Lacazette's fucking almost crying every episode. Like, I'm just saying that. I think, yeah, I, very Kishani-esque. Yeah, yeah, very, 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 very it's odd. Like very odd. He really. It's gotta, be, it's, looking, a, it's gotta be a French thing, I guess. No, I don't he know. really looked like the weight of the world was just fucking crushing him. And it, you know, it, it, you know, it begs certain questions. It begs certain questions. But I guess you know, to take it away from the Jacker thing for a second, one thing it made me realize was that there weren't enough winners in that room. There weren't enough people who had been there before who had dragged themselves up by their bootstraps before and had won to be able to get the collective of players together. Because as a manager, no different for me being a, you know, a, a boss and having staff, you can't always be in the trenches with them. And for a manager, you do to some extent stand on the sidelines. You can give them the best training and you can give them the best, the best instruction. And if they go out and they can't execute it, you can't go out there and kick a ball for them. You can't go and make a tackle for them. And when I looked around that room in All or Nothing, and again, Darren, like you said, I wasn't super into watching it. I only watched it because I felt that if I didn't watch it, I wouldn't be able to pass comment on it. I actually said I wasn't fucking interested in watching it, but it's going to become a point of conjecture. So is what it is. I watched it. It's fucking miserable in the eighth episode. I wish I hadn't watched it. It It's like watching your fucking wedding video after you get divorced. Like fucking stupid. Just fucking awful. The one thing I want to say really quick about leadership, which I kind of disagreed with you a little bit, was when you said that there are no leaders from past teams. We actually, I this is where I, we have a lot. You know, Sambi was the captain of Anderlecht at a very young age. You had Celtic for Tierney. Um, uh, Tierney wore the captain. I was in a few times for Scotland. Tomiyasu wore it for Japan. But that's Obergaard the point I was getting at, Ryan. And it's like, they weren't, and it's like, show, they weren't exactly. showing it. There were no I, I voices in the room. Crazy. Granite Xhaka's voice was the loudest yeah. voice in the room. A bit like yours now, Max. Yeah, yeah, that's what I... <laughs> very, very similar very similar to me. So I un- I understand there are leaders there, but what I... I Which is weird because... Why, why I'm actually relatively Granite Xhaka has done it. shit for us as far as winning like... Why is yeah, he the yeah, loudest yeah. voice in the room? I don't know. That exactly. I, yeah, I think. I, I think you. And I think that's what I was getting at uh, to Darren. You know, when Tony Adams is fucking shouting, you know, I've worked for guys. I used to work for a guy called Adam Salah, who was a notorious fucking psychopath, right? But he was the best. And when a guy who's the best is fucking yelling at you and saying you're not good enough, and you look at that guy and you say, "I have the utmost respect for you, and you've done everything in my industry." Then you fucking get up and you fucking follow the guy. I think that's you know, why I, Adam. I think so. That's why Tony Adams was so successful because he always led by example. You know, yeah. he never had a, a dull moment in a game. He was always a hundred percent, always drunk, always a hundred percent committed. You know, <laughs> he was uh, he was an amazing, amazing character. You know, from 
I watched, you know, I, I know it's old and know a lot of people don't know him. Only only now is the man who's going to appear in Strictly Come Dancing here in uh, in the UK. I don't know if you heard that. You must all have a ballroom dancing show. Uh, you must have that in the, the franchise. Must I, I, have don't, been I, don't watch, I don't I'm, watch garbage. No, no, I don't watch it. But it's a huge show here. And Tony Adams is going to be in this year's BBC Strictly Come Dancing. So we're going to, which I just wish he wouldn't. He needs a drink. You know, he's uh, he's learned to play the piano and now he's learning to ballroom dance. It's not the captain I remember because I remember as a 17-year-old, he came on, you know, to make his debut, 17 years old, and was a leader from the first moment alongside David O'Leary and would scream at everything he was performing. Um, so I, I get the bit. If Xhaka's not the best player, it's very difficult for just to scream and I shout. Think perceives, I think Xhaka perceives himself as that. And there's a thing in leadership... I forgot what the actual term was, but it's like projective leadership. And it's where people start acting like the person they want to become. And it's a, it's a, it's a really bad form of leadership because you don't have the runs on the board. So it's like, I work for a CEO. The CEO acts like that because I want to be a CEO. I'm going to act like that CEO, but you don't have the respect that he has. So it's this, like you project yourself into the position. That's what I got. But just to, just to round the, up on this, I think that those two signings of Jesus and Jinchenko, I think they're massive. I think if you're in the same position or in a similar position this season and you've got someone looking around a room and you're looking for people to lead you, being able to look in that room and see people who have won Premier Leagues, who have gone to Champions League finals, you know, people who have, who have genuinely won things and come out of top systems, we are now incredibly better for the removal of personalities like Lacazette and personalities like Aubameyang. We're better for that with, uh, and we haven't seen what Sinchenko and Jesus are like in the dressing room, but purely just on the fact that they have come from winning environments. Then you think, sorry, Max, to interrupt, but I think that's really key with those two signings. And I might be wrong here. It might just be financial, but I feel that both of those players have joined Arsenal Football Club to better their careers. Mm. You know, they, they haven't dropped down a big level where they want to be a superstar on a small side. They have bought into the potential of this side and believe that in three or four years' time, they can again achieve those those targets. I don't think they've come as an easy payday. And we've had too many of those players over the past two or three if years. If anything, Darren, it's the opposite of that. They have mm. come into a system where now it's like, you are now the guy. Go be the guy. You could get lost at City. You know, there's always someone else to pick up some slack. If you're not playing, Sterling's playing. If Sterling's not playing, Aguero's playing. I mean, this yeah. is these guys have come in, Darren. I couldn't agree more. They've come in. They've been spent 100 million on him. And like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's easy, but like no one's even talking about it because there's just another guy. It's like, who gives a shit? Like, I would, they just do what they want to do. But yeah, again, to, to the Jesus being a leader and like being with us in those tough times, I mean, just look, the proof is in the pudding. Like, he is. What is he? Him and Jock are vice captains. Like, yep. I don't think I've heard of a player coming to, to a club so soon and already being a vice captain. I mean, that's I've been that's that shows something. And I, I think it's more than just him winning at City. I think he actually brings something as far as leadership to the table. So that's gonna be interesting for us to see. All right. Every week I've been trying to come up with something that we can have a quick round table about for the last five minutes of the show. Uh last week it was about Judas's. And this week, it's about unrequited love. 
So I wanted to go around. I, I, for once, Darren, instead of just dumping you in it, I actually put it in a message a couple of days. Yeah, but I didn't read it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I remember thinking uh, before the podcast, I'll sit down and read what we're going to talk about. And then, of course, I forgot. I was building a wall and forgot all about the podcast. Well, I so. listened. The reason why I, I did some like brief agenda is I listened to the first two podcasts and I thought, from start to finish, Max, you had no idea where you were going. Like no idea at all. I mean, I know I've always had no idea, but usually I've got some small idea. I really went into this season having no idea what I was doing. But unrequited love, boys. Uh, one player who didn't make it at Arsenal, and they have to have not made it. And my definition of my definition of not made it is they had to have been moved on in some ways ambiguously, not moved on and gone to better things or better clubs moved on somewhat ambiguously and never really done what you thought they were going to do. But when they were coming through, you thought that they were going to be the absolute shit. I'll start. <laughs> Carlos, Carlos Vea. When I first saw Carlos Vea in the FA Cups, I think he, did he chip the keeper twice in a hat-trick, two chips in a hat-trick in the FA Cup? I thought that he was going to be the single fucking greatest player in the world. I think I may have even made comments of him reminding me of fucking Ronaldo. Went on to have a fantastic career internationally for Mexico, and I think he's the is he the highest goal scorer in the American League in history. Yeah, he, he's like actually that? the best yeah. player in LAFC. Yeah, he's really yeah, good. yeah. It's been the best player of all yeah. time, but just but <laughs> just just never made it. So that was my the the un, I, I had many. I had lots and lots and lots. I thought about Ainsley Maitland Niles. He's not gone yet, so I couldn't choose him because I really why not? Really, well, because he hasn't gone yet. They have to have left right. No, no, you, no, you didn't say that. You didn't say that. Uh, I already part. chose him. It's too late. Okay, okay, Ryan. It's Obviously, funny. My other one I was going to choose, who he hasn't gone yet either. I'm not going to reveal who that is, but no, yeah. I mean, I chose Amen. I, you know, I just, I think, I think I chose him because I was actually going to choose Genduzi at first, but then I was just like, eh, Genduzi would have been Genduzi would have been one. I called him. I called Genduzi a future Arsenal captain. I agree with you. I think I was. I might have been on that podcast. I I think the same way. I think he's definitely a uh, future captain. Granted, he's he's had a bust up with every manager he's came in contact with at Marseille. So I don't know about that. But yeah, I mean, uh, he he's a good shout. Go with Ainsley. Go with Ainsley. Go with AMN. Give us. I your think AMN is the most athletic player. Yeah, I think he's the most athletic player. To play for Arsenal in quite some time. Two, two quick things before I do mine. Then one, yeah. Ainsley Maitland Niles. I don't get it because I've watched a lot of Arsenal and I oh, never I thought he was any, any good. Love, never thought he was shirt. You know, I've got an Ainsley shirt. It's own. I know you've got a lot of shit shirts. <laughs> you got your Welbeck one five years too early. He's playing. Well, hey, 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 I was actually going to say Welbeck, but I didn't want to tear up talking about Welbeck. That, so that guy, that guy doesn't season. count. That guy doesn't count as unrequited. Ainsley well, Maitland Niles uh, was just didn't have the concentration, didn't have the. He isn't clever enough to play for a club un, under Arsene Wenger and now under Mikel Arteta. He's what about not, Carlos he switches off. He switches off. You know what? I can't even remember him. So uh, that's <laughs> that, that's how bad he was. That's good. He was, in, bring... he was in the Walcott Walcott Bentner like Carlos Vea era, they were all vying for like the same fucking spot in the team. I've watched a lot of Arsenal. I've forgotten a lot of players. I just want to mention one that Hambo Gumble was just mentioned in the comments uh, because I was thinking of him as one of mine, David Bentley. 
his debut for Arsenal, his first touch when he came on as a substitute, he it was in an FA Cup or a League Cup game and he chipped the keeper, tried to chip the keeper from 35 yards and it hit the crossbar. And I thought then, oh, we've got a great player. He never did. Do you know, my one, I'm going to stick to somebody who is still at the club as well. And uh, sadly, um, uh, that's Hector Bellerin because I watched him in his first two or three years yeah. and I thought he was going to be club captain and our superstar all his career. Loved us, loved the club. Call, I don't know if you could call Hecky B unrequited. He's played 150 fucking yeah, yeah. games but for he us. hasn't become the player. Where is he in our pecking order now? Fourth? I don't think that's unrequited. I think fourth? he was required. We just saw that he I, wasn't no, no, no. good What's unrequited love? I loved him and thought he was going to be the best. And unfortunately, six years on, he is fourth choice right back at Arsenal. You know, that that's that's where we are with Hector. Yeah. I'm just rack, I'm just racking my fucking brains for a second. Truly yeah. unrequited. Someone who came in who was there was a few. I mean Jack Wilson. I was a Jack big Sabios. I was a Jack big Sabios fan. I was a big Sabios oh, fan for Your six favorite Chili Bios. I was a big Chibayos fan when he came in. I thought he was going to be the fucking shit. It's funny how your brain removes these players. Sender like, Ross. as they don't. Sender Ross, first couple of games. What a beautiful footballer. First couple of games. First couple of games, you thought, wow, we've found a footballer who can hit a 35 yard ball cross field. But uh, he couldn't defend. <laughs> you know? I like the Wobby. I don't know if we would consider Wobby. Uh, no, really I don't know. So, actually, actually. Never good enough. No, I agree. Actually, I agree. But I think he. I think his skill set and what he offered us could have helped us probably in the last few years. We're trying to be creative. He's a very creative player. He couldn't finish worth the shit once he got into the yard box. He this went shout win, from Cor- this shout from Cornell isn't bad. It says his name's John Hayden. It's not. His name's fucking Cornell, and he's not black. He's fucking white with a name like Cornell. And he's gone he's for Kalasinac. He's gone for Kalasinac. But where I will where I will understand what he's saying with I get what he's saying. Oh yeah, Kalasinac. yeah. Actually, he was good. Yeah. Fucking Kalasinac's first the couple of games, he was the shit. We were like fucking go say Yeah, he was bombing down. Yeah, he was left back of the year in the Bundesliga. Yeah, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, we were excited and we got it for free. We were like, oh, yeah. okay, this is easy. We can do this. Well, free in about hundred and twenty thousand free. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A, a week. Um, well, I like Joel like to... Campbell. I, I I would probably say Joel Campbell. Joel fucking Campbell. I'm a huge Joel Campbell fan. And I, where I didn't pick him is because, and I guess this is probably where, when I should have picked him, I thought he was, what, what season was it? 2013, 2014? I thought he was easily our best player. But Vanker just never played him. He couldn't we get, into, just, the t- he couldn't we get into the team. Shit. He was in, it was Oxlade-Chamberlain, Gnabry, and Walcott. He was trying to get in over at that point. I don't know if was Gnabry still on the team. Gnabry was still there. Been. Yeah, I think he Gnabry was. was still there. In I fact, I think Joe that Gnabry. might I think that might have been Gnabry's little breakthrough season that he had. Yeah. Uh, mm. Anyway, we like to do an hour. We've done an hour. Um, Love Joe Campbell. Fuck. I'm thinking of one for next week now, Max. He should be um, worst signing that promised so much. <laughs> There's one for you to think about. Dennis Suarez. Easy. Oh, done. Okay, we won't go into it this week. We'll try yeah, go yeah. into that next week and have a whole week to think about it. So Wait, next please. week's one, next week's one is gonna be Worst signing s- that someone who it. got signed that you genuinely thought this wow. man will change this man will change the fucking yeah. club. He will change wow. the fabric of the club. Um anyway, oh, to finish up, it's a answer. it's a very uncomfortable position to be in where we are at the moment as Arsenal fans. 
it's an uncomfortable position because we haven't been here for so long. We're staring down at the rest of the league right now. I think that we have to enjoy the journey. We have to enjoy the ride. We have to enjoy how we're going to get there. I don't think that <clears throat> this team is necessarily going to win the league, but also don't think that we should give a flying fuck whether we are or whether we aren't going to win the league. Because even if we get close, even if we get a sniff, like I said at the start of the show, you have to believe that you can do it. You have to believe that you can fuck the prettiest girl in the room. Because if you walk up to the prettiest girl in the room and even one part in your brain says, I can't fuck her, you have failed. You have failed before you started. So if the Premier League is a hot girl, Arsenal has to look in the mirror, slick back its hair, maybe have a wank or two. Maybe have a couple of wanks just to make sure that their balls are empty so that they know that if they do get to the promised land, if they do get there, they're not just going to fucking two pump and jizz it. You got fingers? Two in the pink, one in the stink. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. And I believe in us. Um, I've got to press the button. As usual, I didn't tee up the button. We'll be back next week. Same time, same show. And I I remembered to press record this week. Good night. This is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify and SoundCloud at Arthros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button.